Welcome back to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. How do you live a sustainable life? In this program, we talk to a couple who live in a very sustainable way by being conscious of their carbon footprint and then taking steps to minimize it. It isn't something that happened all at once, but rather something they've been working on for years. Their advice to others who want to do the same is to start small and work up. And in this program, you will get some ideas on just how to do that. Meet my guests, Betsy Robertson and her husband, Todd Durkus. Todd and Betsy, welcome to Mothering Earth. Thank you. I'd like to start by asking you to give me a definition of sustainable living. What does that encompass? For me, it would be living within the cycles and circles of life. So we're not taking more than our share of the Earth's resources, and we're making it possible for people and beings after us to live in about the same methods that we do. I would pretty much just add to what Betsy said. It's about a relationship with the living Earth. Then that relationship is something that I want to be sustained. And it's one that's in balance. It's a mutualistic relationship as opposed to a parasitic relationship, something that could uh, live on in perpetuity uh, so that all our generations, hence, would be able to enjoy that kind of uh, right. relationship. I have a little bit of a problem with the word sustainable because embedded in that is a continuation of things as they are. And I think in order to realize this vision, we're going to have to change pretty drastically. So. Right. So is there another term that you might use? Well, I haven't come up with one. I saw, thought resilient. It, I've heard that as as in this movement, but green doesn't do it. And so sustainable is the only thing that is, you know, universally accepted right now. So Right, right. So um, are there, I'm sure there are particular reasons why you've chosen to live the way you do in a sustainable way. Can you talk about how you each personally came to that? I, in my gut, hate waste. I, my parents were kind of the same thing. And so, you know, there, there's so much of our culture that is, we could have very, very, very good lives and not use up all the resources and energy that we do to maintain our lifestyle right now. So that, I'd say 40 years ago, I started living my life just looking at the ways we could cut waste. And then as you do it, it's it's a self, self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's also immediately... Uh, gratifying because you're not usually when you make a green choice you are one helping your pocketbook two increasing your health and three helping the the planet around you so that's if for every action you have three benefits and so that's it's always been easy to live that way afterwards it's a very joyful life too but, but was there some uh, was it something you read somebody somebody you spoke to something that inspired you to first start thinking about this uh, I would say Small is Beautiful. The um, can't remember his name. Uh, Schumacher. Schumacher, yeah. E.F. Schumacher. I read that back in the early 70s, and that that was big, and, and some of the Buckminster Fuller things. And when I was 27, I decided I didn't want to pay interest, and I didn't want to pay a mortgage so or pay rent. So I moved out to a piece of property, and that's where I met Todd. But uh, I just started building a house, and 
when you're having to live in the, a real bare bones life, a lot of these things aren't a choice, you know, you're not mm -hmm. spending a lot of money. So, and it just was, like I say, self-fulfilling or self-gratifying. And you uh, taught kind of the same thing. I, my relationship to the, uh, uh, to nature and the living earth and so on wasn't quite so sophisticated. But as a kid, I was one of those who was instructed to go outside and play in the woods, just be back at lunch, make sure I can find you to do your homework, that kind of thing. And uh, the whole neighborhood, all the kids got together. We went out and played and we studied engineering by building tree houses and dams. And we uh, did our sociological work by trying to make peace and declare war. And, you know, we did all those kinds of things pretty much self-directed, but nature was always the backdrop and something we were very familiar with. So on my emotional side, uh, as far as my personality and my makeup goes, there was always that relationship that got stronger as I uh, went through life. And uh, as Betsy mentioned, moved out to the land. Uh, we call it the land, capital T, capital L, uh, some rural property in uh, Guadalupe County. And we sort of fell into becoming back to the landers uh, at that point. And that, that, was 76. that was sort of sustainability based because the environmental movement had just sort of kicked in. There are many aspects to it, but we weren't so uh, deliberate about being back to the landers. We just kind of were uh, by oh, de facto just being there. For example, it was going to be $10,000 to bring in a water line. So instead, for $800, I bought a rainwater tank mm -hmm. and collected water off the roof and didn't treat it at all. It's amazing we're still here, but uh, mm -hmm. it's it was good water. And it was something we saw that the uh, neighboring ranchers were doing, that yeah. it was something that was a vestige that was... Uh, carried over from uh, 30s and 40s, but they were still using some of that water in right. some cases. So uh, it was a combination of things then. And then I, too, read Schumacher and uh, you know Rachel Carson. I even remember reading in the uh, Whole Earth catalog, there was a novel that was in the catalog itself. I read the novel. I can't tell you much about it, but more than anything, I just remember seeing all those items in it and how much they tended to be either sustainable or just connecting back to... I know, Mother Earth. Oh, and did I mention Mother Earth mm -hmm. News? So all those things. And then reading Aldo Leopold, something that really got my modern rational side going was uh, reading uh, The End of Nature, uh, McKibben's book, in which climate change was actually first uh, you know, mentioned to me. And that really got me thinking in kind of greater global uh, personal actions and the connections between all those things uh, so it sort of tied it all together for me those values were already there but that really launched it forward in a way that made me motivated to want to really work in all the aspects of my life to be uh, a lot more sustainable a lot more mutualistic I'm here today with Betsy Robertson and Todd Durkis, and we're talking about the way they came to the conviction that uh, living a sustainable life was the way to live. And Todd, you were just talking about how you mm -hmm. kind of got to that place. Um, what I was wondering was, um, for, for most of us that don't live the way you do, and I don't mean to single you out as though it's something odd but yeah certainly not that uh, but it's different from what you 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 sort of think differently about the way you live and I wondered if you could talk about just a kind of give us a normal day 
um, from when you wake up maybe to, you know, when you go to sleep. So, you know, just kind of give us a picture of, of the things you might do that other people might do differently. Okay. Todd's always off to coffee right off the bat. So yeah. he goes okay, and that's, meets a group of friends. That's my little sin. Yeah, no, it's uh, not a sin. It's great because uh, that gives me a nice slow start. Uh, yeah, so getting up in the morning, uh, our breakfast is usually without dairy products, uh, but it's a delicious breakfast we have every morning. Uh, we have uh, rainwater to the house, a potable water rainwater system, so cleaning the dishes involves uh, using rainwater. We don't use a dishwasher. It's only the two of us, and uh, we're very frugal with water. One thing you learn about having rainwater is that uh, the minute you're collecting it and then reusing it or using it in the household, you become real sippers of water. So uh, very careful about that. Even in the morning, it's kind of a ritual to be uh, very conscientious about water use. Bicycle to the coffee shop. It's not that far away, and uh, it's a good way to kind of get the morning energy going and uh, take my cup in to the coffee shop. I have my own cup, so I don't have to use a styrofoam. Uh, and if we chit-chat, I'm kind of the green guy among our little coffee clatch at the coffee shop, so you know sometimes I'll be the one answering questions about this or that topic, uh, and then come home and, but see, how about you? I usually meditate a little bit in the morning and then do yoga, and then after that, it's the, just the little chores. I do a lot of food preparation, like making the kombucha and making bread and canning and dehydrating, so there's usually, and then the garden usually takes, I usually work on it in the morning while it's cooler. Mm -hmm. And then um, afternoons, we, we're pretty active in the volunteer community here, so um, we go to a lot of meetings. Um, I helped found two um, uh, community gardens, so I'm still the treasurer on those, so I work with that. Todd is very active in the Greenbelt Alliance and um, does trail work, so... That, that or, takes a lot of our day. So do you, when you're going somewhere, how would you go? You, you talked about uh, taking your bicycle yeah, down to the coffee whenever shop. Whenever possible, we always use the bicycle. Uh, that's Usually just in town, choice. that's the way we go. Uh, mm -hmm. And without a doubt, that's our, you know, our main transportation. Obviously, if it's really bad weather, uh, we don't want to be fools or dangerous about it. So we have a, a Prius, uh, something that's a, a pretty good uh, low-energy consumption vehicle. That we can still do long distance travel if we need to. Our thermostat is set at 79 this time of year, uh, but up until just in the last week or so when it's been really hot and humid, we've been able to open up the house and ventilate. We are able to open up a house that is otherwise very tightly sealed and pull in the cool air of the morning, cool the house down, and then close it back up again. We have a whole house fan and a, uh, a vent in the uh, attic space that we can close. When Todd comes home from the coffee shop, he usually brings about a 20-pound bag of used coffee grounds. Mm -hmm. And so I do a lot of composting up there. And we save all the leaves that have been put out on the... And so the combination of those makes great compost. So. And it's a daily yeah. routine, so it's another way to balance out. Because coffee is a, kind of a big ask of Mother Nature. You know, somebody in Ethiopia, Ethiopia or Jakarta is... You know, processing the bean and transporting it and so on. I try to go with Central American coffee because I try to stay regional if at all possible. 
But uh, so those kinds of things are going into the decisions I'm making. Uh, today we went grocery shopping and we're, we're reading the labels and uh, finding what do you out. What you look for? Uh, the fish counter is one of the toughest because uh, we're managing our fisheries so badly, uh, unfortunately, uh, that I try to reward those places that are, if they're fish farming, they're doing it right. If it's not a, a fish farm operation that it was wild-caught species that there's uh, an ample supply of. We generally don't buy meat or uh, dairy products much. I'm going to ask you to expand on that thought about meat and meat production and its effect on the environment. But right now, you're listening to Mothering Earth, and it's time for a break. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here with Betsy Robertson and Todd Durkis. Just before the break, Todd, you were saying that part of your sustainable life is that you don't generally buy meat and dairy products. And I'd like you or Betsy to tell us why that is. Which is not to say we wouldn't eat those products if somebody offers it to us, if they're good hosts, and they've prepared a meal, and it includes that we don't push it away, but... We don't buy that and support that kind of market in that way. Um, is there, but what is the reason for that? Is that a health oh, reason? Meat, both. meat is very hard on the environment. It, there's, its carbon p- footprint is really... High water usage. Yeah. Uh, it takes a lot of resources to get a uh, four-ounce steak even just to the table. Um, so again, I'm not opposed to it as a dietary thing so much, although it's probably good not to eat a whole bunch. And if I can find meat that was very sustainably grown or very mutualistically grown, which requires a lot actually to pull that off, then I wouldn't have any problem uh, consuming it necessarily if it was done humanely and, and you know, the water use low and so on and so forth. But that's a tough product to find these days. So that is, that is an environmental, uh, I mean, it's something that is damaging to the environment. It's no doubt meat about production it. and that's what you're... Mainly, that, that's your main concern. That's a big part of it, no doubt okay. about it. You've built your house in a certain way to be green, um, and so you have water collection and you have solar panels. Um, can you talk about, and, and you talked about the uh, whole house fan. Are there other features, or can you talk, kind of tell us a little more the about your very, house? very, very best one. Well, there's, there's one big one, and that's the orientation. So we face the long edge south and the overhangs are 30 inches, which allows the sun to come in in the winter, but it shades the whole wall in the summer. So that helps a lot in the, in the uh, climate so control. So that was important just right away when you were designing. And it doesn't cost anything go. else. I mean, it's not an extra cost, but it makes such a difference, especially on ventilation for the air flowing through. And then um, we were introduced to a product called soy isocinine, which is a spray soy-based product that it's a spray insulation so you spray the top roof and all the walls not your ceiling as is usual it's totally airtight it is a wonderful product it has i mean we can go until mid-december without turning our heater on in fact sometimes we go all winter without turning the heater on and we'll use the the wood stove um but you know not too often uh so that you know, it's it was a new product, and we were, Ooh, this is, but it's been wonderful. We've been in the house for nine years now, mm-hmm. and um, it's 
that's performed great. We also realized there was a, an ROI, a return on investment for each of those. The insulation that Betsy mentioned was really top drawer. I mean, it gives you an immediate payback uh, pretty quickly. Um, we ultimately put in photovoltaics. That didn't happen at the time we built the house. That was a retrofit a little later on. But the return on investment, even back then, was still pretty good because the, our city was offering a rebate. Uh, there are other rebates we could get uh, for that. We did solar hot water heating. That did go in when we built the house. And in Texas, solar hot water heating is a no-brainer. I mean, it got immediate return. It's a an actual water flow system. It's not something that's powered by a photovoltaic. It's actually water being pumped up through the, uh, uh, the solar collector. Uh, that's the most cost-effective way to use solar, mm -hmm. not the solar panels. Is really? The water heater. Yeah, it's, it's not very expensive and... Water heater is one of your biggest energy mm. users, so. Yeah, that's worked out pretty well. And then we don't have a dryer. We use the um, screen porch to dry our clothes, yeah. and that's been a big savings. Yeah, from where we are, you can look out, and we have clothesline. And, uh, but we find that not inconvenient at all. That oh. it's, uh, Again, it's one of those ritual things that, because it matches it our value system and it's pretty easily handled, it's really not a problem. Because it's under cover, it dries nicely, and so... That works out well. Smells great. <laughs> and those elements I'm mentioning, uh, ultimately the, the uh, photovoltaics, which had you know maybe a longer payback, but all of them addressed large consumption issues when it comes to uh, carbon or just the take from the living earth. Uh, we dramatically reduced that. So sometimes our electric bill is it's actually negative. is negative. That is, we're going to get money back. This year it's been so cloudy. I don't yeah. know if it'll be the but same. But also, before we even had the panels, our average electric bill was about $30 a month. So we had already figured out, and that was large part is because of the um, insulation. Mm -hmm. But so much of this is habits and way attitude, habits and attitude. Mm -hmm. um, you just have to turn off the lights, all the little things your parents told you. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it just becomes has, a way of life. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. You, you yeah. feel uncomfortable walking into or passing rooms with lights on. I'm here with Betsy Robertson and Todd Durkus, and I um, wanted to talk to you about, are there particular things you do when you, for example, go shopping? You mentioned going to the grocery store and reading the labels and that kind of thing. Um, what are you looking for when you're reading the labels? Are there uh, particular if things? If it's an appliance, I mean, you, anybody can look at the Ener right. Energy Star right. rating. Um, right. It's not always easy to find uh, that good performing appliance. Sometimes we know they're out there in the marketplace, but getting them here and buying them uh, at a reasonable cost is a much bigger challenge. Uh, refrigerators kind of drive me crazy because they... Uh, it's hard to get a good refrigerator that, that performs well, is going to be long-lasting, and, and so on. But uh, So we take a look at that. But even when we're just shopping, you know, if we're going to buy something... You, you asked yeah, about like clothing. clothing, for example. Yeah. I buy everything used. I'd say, well, 90 to 95%. I buy underwear, new, and shoes, usually. But And then I keep it for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and then I don't have to worry about, is it fair trade? Is it organic cotton? You know, because I haven't impacted the earth. Somebody already used it and yeah. discarded it. So it's almost like a free ticket on the carbon train. Um, but even like there's a couple times you've purchased something new, but even then it was usually a local product 
yeah. uh, sold maybe in a farmer's market. Um, right, right. Or uh, supporting a local seamstress. Yeah, yeah. a known yeah. history of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, right. Chain of production and that sort of thing. We're careful with the gifts we give. You know, we want to make sure that it's something that the recipient will use or... You know, we've got just the book for her, yeah. whatever. <laughs> or so. it may be uh, an experience yeah. or a consumable that um, isn't going to be a thing that ends up just going into the, the waste stream or the, yeah. the reuse stream. Is, is it ever difficult to do some of the things you do? Um, one example I was thinking of, and I don't know if this is even true, but I'm assuming that like when you bathe that you would limit the time that you are using water and turn it off and so on. Does it ever get difficult where you think if, oh, if it does we just a... we just back off a little bit i i'm not here to be a fanatic and so if someday i want to take a longer shower because i've got muscle aches or something i do that and i don't feel guilty about it i realize what i'm shooting for is 90 percent, a 90 percent reduction in in my impact on earth so sometimes it's that people might call it a slip up but it's that kind of brings a joy into your life sometimes it's a little treat to have a long shower rather than people that take a 10 15 minute shower every day mm-hmm. you know we take i don't know my i probably have the water on for one or two minutes because right. we have uh, having a valve at the at the head is very good because then it keeps the water at the same temperature you're not having to readjust the temperature every time and we down. have one of those at the uh, kitchen sink too where you can just flip the valve off right Wet down, so yeah. Uh, what rinse. they used to call a marine shower, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, <laughs> but we're not into discomfort. It's not. We're not ascetics. It's not about suffering or anything. We like to be comfortable. So yeah. the the game, kind of the fun of it, is figuring out how to get how to be just as comfortable, just as happy, by living with those values that we've adopted uh, that are about sustainability, about our relationship to the the living earth. So. So if there, I'm sure there are people out there who are listening to this and thinking, well, you know, I'd like to do some of those things, but I mean, how would you, is there any sort of uh, advice or guidance you could give someone who's mm-hmm. thinking, you know, I'd like to do some of that, but where would I start? Well, the, the usual advice is change your light bulbs, and that's kind of boring. And the, the look at it as, as an opportunity to have fun. Like biking is a whole lot more fun than sitting in traffic. And especially biking in a small town where you're going through neighborhoods and seeing nice houses. Um, so there's so many things you can do without spending money, and lots of times it will save you money. So just look for those things in your life. Mm-hmm. And also, don't uh, if you are someone who has not had any of this in your consciousness and you decide to go that direction, one of the things that you're vulnerable to is realizing oh my god everything i do has consequence and some of it a lot of it is negative forgive yourself right off the bat it's okay we're not here to judge you and no one else needs to do that either just take it one step at a time just find one thing in your life that you can do better and uh that fits who you are and how you operate and then let it be kind of a fun discovery to realize more and more ways that you can go in that direction. So one last question. Do you think that your lifestyle has affected your uh, both your physical and mental health? And if it has, in what ways? 
physical health right off the bat is I ride my bike a lot more than most 67-year-old women do. And uh, it's just, it always feels good to be out there on the bike. Mm -hmm. um, gardening is a pretty good physical activity. Building compost is a lot of shoveling. So mm -hmm. I feel like it definitely has contributed to my um, physical well-being. Um, we have pretty stress-free life, and that helps your both physical and emotional life. Um, it also, there's a, a deep down gut feeling of, uh, it's almost joy when you know that you're being part of a cycle. Like when, when I'm doing compost, I realize that I am being part of putting the nutrients that we no longer have use for back into the soil so that all those soil organisms, organisms can use it and then produce food. That just feels good. I've come to a point now where I, uh, in a way, I think of uh, the living earth, Mother Nature, as another being in my life. And if I love Mother Nature, things I can do to help, just like my love of anybody else, feel good. You know, it's that giving back, the gratitude, uh, it all goes to that relationship. And so uh, that's a healthy thing. If you feel you need some additional resources on your journey to sustainability, here's a website that will help. It is sustainablesanmarcos.org. That's sustainablesanmarcos, one word, dot O-R-G. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan, signing off for Mothering Earth.